I'm Buddy Martin. Welcome to the best Fridays in football with the Urban Meyer podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Well, Happy New Year, Coach. We made it through. Yeah, 2021 is going to be much better than 2020, but there's still some great stuff going on to close out 2020. I'm really anxious to talk to you over the next few weeks when we get a chance about the title or working title of the book that you've talked about because it's such a perfect title at this time, Hope and Opportunity. Is that still the title? Yeah, we're still working through it. Um, uh, A lot of, obviously, that's a chore, you know that. Uh, But I think it's so appropriate where everybody's at, where society as a whole is at, and where, you know, leaders have an obligation. And that ultimate obligation is to provide those you lead with hope and opportunity and not to appease people, not to, um, uh, you know, be that studio leader where they're always worried about perception and worried about narrative, but they're actually worried about people. And the number one thing you can do for people is give them hope and opportunity. So I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Amen to that. I just dealt with it yesterday with somebody who was really going through a tough time who just was at the end of his rope. And he just needed a chance. And thank the Lord through prayer, he, he got that chance, at least to start. So that's what we're all looking for, hope and opportunity. Let's talk about this season. I mean, we can talk about the disruptions. We can talk about the COVID. We can talk about the bad things that happened, and it did. We won't deny that. But there are a couple of things, I think, that are really interesting we'll talk about in the future. One of your favorites is relentless effort of people. Boy, if anything ever personified relentless effort this year, starting with people who wanted to keep the season alive and fought to do it. It was this season it is really a clinic and relentless effort. It really is. And you won't hear me talk about the negatives because I always talk about players. You know, I, I've always taken exception to people that, you know, they, they go after other people and they really have no concept of what they're talking about. And so, I'm a defender of the player. I, I know exactly what these players have gone through. And I, I know the coaches. The coaches get paid to do it. But these are the players that when you really think, and we're going to talk about this uh, at uh, Big Ten Network coming up, and we're actually going to put a timeline together. And we had, uh, I think it was Ohio State at one point, practiced 30-some days without a game. And I can't, you know, and I talked to I'm very close, obviously, to that situation. I've talked to Dan Mullen quite a bit um, about the situations he was dealing with. But, but at the end of the day, when you talk about, you know, relentless effort and focus and, you know, just enduring, uh, these players have been doing this since last summer. And last summer was on and on, on again, off again. And really the only real, the real motivating factor, the inspiring factor of playing college football is to be part of a team. And your team and your family and really people that have other things that occupy their time, a lot of times they fail. You know, the, the people that stare at their phone and worry about social media following, the worry, uh, you know, the people that, you know, in your world, the, the sports writers just crush players and coaches. And, and, you know, they have no concept of what's going on. And the, the reality is this, is that these players were basically quarantined, locked down. Imagine that when you were 17 and 21 years old, locked down. And then, by the way, on Thanksgiving, you can't go to see your family. And on Christmas time, you're not allowed to go see your family. And then after games, one of the great rewards of playing college football 
is after the game. After the game, what do you do? You, your family meets you at the tunnel. You go out to dinner. You hang out. You, you talk about the game. You talk about, you know, those you care about. And then you go back to work. When you eliminate that 40 hours of, you know, the cathartic moment that you get to spend with your family and friends, that's tough. And I know these coaches and players have dealt with it. That's a great point. Um, and I think you're right. I'm going to just a little bit stand up for some of the sports writers because one of the things I have to deal with is when people say the media, this is one for you to think about. Who is the media? Everybody who has a Twitter account? I mean, there's some really good people, honest, hardworking journalists out there trying to tell the truth. And I think one of the challenges for us all, if we all care about this game that we celebrate, college football, I know you do and I do. We've had a great relationship over the years. I think the difficulty for all is having good dialogue. And let's be honest, everything is orchestrated for the journalists. He or she don't get to ask the questions that they need to ask to get to the truth. And the truth, you know, it may set you free, but you got to know it first. If there was some way for a group of coaches and, say, journalists to have an understanding about the rules of engagement, anything to be able to get to what both parties want, the coaches and the journalists and the people to tell the story to the public, to my mind, that is really critical in the future. I don't know if it'll ever happen, Urban. No, I think those days are gone, buddy. I think, you know, you are one of those rare exceptions that I, I, there are incredible people that report the news and and glorify, as Fox says, they glorify the sport and those who play it, you know, because that's what it is all about. This is not about, hey, let's find something, dig it down deep, and, and whether it be true or not, print it. You know, that's so, unfortunately, I think those days are long gone. Uh, social media, um Unfortunately, you see sports writers and I, I can't even call them sports writers, people out there that, you know, they get promoted because they create something, you know, that there's something that, and then, it, you know, they get more clicks. And as a result, that, you know, obviously you've seen it, some of the things I've dealt with over the years, and I'm not saying perfect, not far from that. Um, but I think those days are gone, unfortunately. And you see coaches never more protective over the players than now. Because you see just, uh, you know, once again, you're, you're in a day-to-day basis with a player. You're the one that there's no other profession that exists. I might have said this earlier. Think about this, buddy. There's no other profession anywhere where you go into the, the people that you're, you know, it's not necessarily going to employ, but the people you're going to work with, you go in their home when they're 17, sometimes 16 years old. Uh, you hug their mother and you say, I got your kid. And I've been on both ends of it. I've got three children that played college sports and, and then I also have coached for 35 years where, you know, and, and you take exception when there's an intent out there. Unfortunately, when I first started, I didn't feel that at all, but that, that game has changed. And unfortunately, because of, you know, it's just like there's some bad coaches out there, some bad sports writers, you know, it, it's, it's a shame that that's come to that. But yeah, people are very protective of, the young people. Can you imagine growing up now where you can't make a mistake? Think about that, buddy. You're growing up in a time where a player can't make a mistake because it, it's uh, there's people, that's all they do is waiting for a mistake that you make. And it'd be very tough to grow up in this day and age because I don't know you. Very, I know you very well, buddy. I imagine you made a bunch of mistakes when you were 18 years old. 
Well, they've been making it for the last 50 years, Herman, so nothing's changed there. <clears throat> but it's that a good point. Mean, that doesn't mean that guys like you and there's, oh, there's incredible sports writers out there and journalists. I call them journalists. I don't call them reporters, but journalists mm, yeah. uh, that are incredible out there and they're so good for the game and so good for people. But as you well know, that I, I believe that's been trumped. Yeah, and I, not to dwell on this because there are other things that we want to talk about. People are waiting for you to answer some questions on Ask Urban. But I, I think we all kind of want the same thing, but how we're getting to it is the difficulty. And it's like anything else. It's like a family. I was talking to my friends the other day about the number well, of... Wait, hold on, hold on, buddy. When you said we all want the same thing, that I don't agree with that. Well, the true journalists do. You know, some people yeah. want... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually journalists. Absolutely. Uh the two journalists wants to hopefully glorify the sport and glorify those who play and sure report the news, uh, but also have some humanity involved. Yeah. And you've had a little taste of it because when you attack a subject, you like to get into it. I know you, you, you get into it like you were doing your thesis on it. You want to know every nuance about it and, and getting that information. That's why you're so good on television. I'm not just buttering up to you here because you attack a story. You want to know it backwards and forwards. You want the facts. And basically that is a form of journalism. Although I wouldn't say I'd call you a sports writer. <laughs> I would say that's it. So that is the issue. Well, it makes for good conversation and, and something. Hopefully things will get better on that in the future. And, I told a coach this one time. As a matter of fact, it was Ray Perkins. We had a conversation about writers in New York, and he had a difficult time with a lot of them. And I said to him, and I know my fellow journalists will hate me for this, Ray, don't treat us all the same. We're not all the same. And it must have stuck with him because when he went to Alabama, he, he told his PR people the same thing. I don't want to treat them all the same. We're not all the same, just like coaches are not all the same, Correct. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, you've earned that. You earn a relationship. You earn the trail. That the golden word is trust. You know, you earn that uh, trust. But I, I think once again, it always something I've been able to do is is really focus on the people that matter. And you've been given a charge, not not a journalist, but a coach. Your charge is to provide. You know, like we just discussed, provide hope and opportunity, mentor those young people and do it at, at the very best you can, uh, regardless of, you know, uh, someone's opinion. And you have. Uh, just throwing out a few bouquets before we get to the subject of playoffs here. There's some people we mentioned. Ryan Day has done, Greg Sankey, uh, Dan Mullen, uh, Kyle Trask went into his final game without his top four receivers, about 60% of his offense. I love the relentless effort. I love the stories of the people who just – kept on digging and I think that is really the model I think when you look back to that Kyle Trask you'll remember him for the fact that he came from nowhere gave his all left it on the field and was always the ultimate next man up that's to me a story right there it certainly is and, and I'm a huge fan of his and I made the comment last year because I thought he was really good and, and he had to become great and I think he did. You know, I know the Gators didn't win a championship, but I'll tell you what, Dan Mullen and the Gators, Gator Nation should be proud. Because at the end of the day, uh, yes, you, you go to, you get hired at Florida to win championships. That's, that's not a secret. You get paid well to do it. Um, but you also, there, there's a lot of moving parts and your job is to make sure they swing as hard as they can. And my gosh, did they, you know, they took Alabama to the, uh, 
final round and, and swung as hard as they possibly could. Kyle Trask, that'll go down as one of the great stories in Gator history. I'm, I'm sure Gator Nation will always embrace Kyle Trask. Well, one of the things Dan and I and I've always said to our players are my dream was for someday that every player, you know, that you can come back, bring your children and say, look what your father did. You know, walk through the hallway and show, you know, whether it be a great game, the game against Georgia. Uh, hopefully you win a championship. You have a ring on your finger and that picture on the wall, the hallway down there in the, in the stadium. That That's what, you know, that I know that's why Dan works too. You know, is at the end of the day, let's do the very best we can because Always the former place. When I was back at Florida, buddy, you know the players I saw most often were the 96 national champion players. Hmm. They came back all the time. The players that come back were the ones that really had teams that weren't very good, you know, that really struggled. And I, I get that. I tell the same thing the guys at Ohio State at Utah is that, you know, you, you never see the guys, and that's unfortunate because if they have a bad career, the teams don't win, why are you going to bring, you know, you don't come back very often. And that's a shame because you you like them all to come back and really enjoy their experience at a place like Florida. So true. And I know you did that with your captain's center, bringing back the former captains, and some came and some didn't. Your friend Steve Spurrier always quotes uh, John Wooten. He thinks he's the greatest coach of all time. He says that you can tell about a coach by who and how many of his former players come back to be with him. And I know you cherish that. I mentioned the other day a young man who sent this message to you about how he, hardly a day goes by that uh, he doesn't think of something you you did or said. That's got to be a great feeling for a coach or a teacher or anybody. Yeah, Steve Spurrier is the perfect example. And one of the reasons I respect him so much is his players talk. You know, they have fun with him, which is the way it should be. But they know he cared about him. And that, I grew up in the Woody Hayes area. Mm. You know, Woody Hayes had so many faults, but the one thing he didn't have a fault in is his genuine love and care for her those he coached and that was my mentor one of my mentors growing up and i once again i thought no one said they're perfect but he he uh, those the way that players speak lonely about him and all he did for them in education life after sports uh, that's very you know that 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 was the guy that i looked up to what i learned about woody hayes and i was in his era was that a lot of people on the outside really took shots at him and he set himself up for it sometimes but he didn't care and all i learned was after i got to know some of the people around the ohio state program they worshiped woody hayes they thought he was the ultimate the best guy in the world and father figure whatever so how it looks to us on the outside is not always the way it is on the inside in fact it usually isn't that way so what do you one of these days, we'll tell some Woody Hayes stories. I'd love to know more about him because he's an important figure in college football. Meanwhile, we do have playoffs. And there's a theme going on here. And let's talk about these games. Alabama, nearly a three-touchdown favorite over Notre Dame. Urban, this is the playoffs. Yeah, this is a special uh, Alabama team. They got it all. You know, they they were really struggling on defense. They had two games, Ole Miss and Florida, where they gave up some points um, and some yards. But their defense really started to click. Their offense, I think, is the best in the country. I don't think everyone knows they're the best in the country. They have, you know, three Heisman candidates on the team. Think about that for a minute. Three Heisman candidates. Uh, you think when uh, we won the national championship in 08, we had two. You had, uh, obviously, Percy and Tim Tebow. They have three. They have the receiver, uh, Devontae. They have the quarterback, Mac Jones. And then they got Najee. 
uh, Harris, the tailback. So they have legitimate three Heisman Trophy candidates on offense. Yeah, you had a couple of quarterbacks, by the way, on your squad who won Heisman's one after he left. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, so, so we got that game, and we'll put it aside for a second. Now, Clemson is favored by over a touchdown against the Buckeyes. We don't really know this Buckeyes team. You know them, but we don't because we haven't seen them that much. We won't get in and mitigate that whole schedule thing because it wasn't their fault. Uh, it is what it is. But there's this one theme going on here, too. There's some elite quarterbacks here. I mean, Lawrence is, is going to be you – know, he may be playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars next year as their first pick. Uh, certainly, we know about Justin Fields uh, and on and on. And so – and even Ian Book has is got is worthy of – consideration for the great year he's had. So the theme is you got to have a good quarterback. Let's take the first game. Let's take let, let's take uh, Alabama uh, and, and Notre Dame. And it looks like there's just too much firepower for the Irish in this game. How do you see it coming out? Yeah, I think I, Notre Dame's got to play incredible defense. You know, I made the comment uh, when you play a team, uh, like Florida had to have five stops against Alabama and the amazing thing is they did but then they had two penalties and a turnover on one of them and Dan and I actually talked about it after the game you know we talked about because yeah you know coaches got their whatever tendencies or rituals they do and and whenever I coached against a team like that in my mind I used that for motivation for me and for our players I'd mark it down right on my play sheet there when we got one stop I'd go down and say okay that's one one get one more and then you know if you can get five stops there's a chance we can win this game. So Notre Dame has to have five stops or this won't be close. You know, five stops are, I mean, turnover. I don't count a field goal as a stop, you know, a turnover or uh, a punt. You get the ball back, that's a stop. And you remember, I, I think uh, Florida had two 15-year penalties that kept the drive alive and then also the uh, 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 interception where the, yeah. the guy turned it back over to him. Yeah. That was uh, Trey Dean. That was a good play, and he got hammered from the side. If there's such a thing as targeting by a tackler, that was it. Uh, all right, so you like – obviously, you you like uh, Alabama here. We're going to get to a question in a minute about Alabama, how good this team is, et cetera. Clemson and the Buckeyes, hard for you to pick this, and I know where your heart is on this, but we don't know a lot about either one of these teams yet because Clemson didn't play all that much. But if it's the Clemson of old, Buckeyes got their hands full. Yeah, this is not the Clemson of old. Uh, they have an elite, you know, the, probably the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. They got Etienne is an incredible back. You know, I, I, I've always had respect for him, but my, he's an elite, elite player. Catches the ball, runs the ball, plays violent, uh, blocks well. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done. Uh, he is a great, great player to tell back at Clemson. The offensive and defensive lines are good, but they're not typical Clemson. When we played Clemson a few years ago, they had three or four first-round draft picks on defensive line. Uh, they don't have that. They're young. There's one player, Breezy, that's uh, playing as a freshman. It's going to be incredible. But they're a good defense. That's not – I think a lot of what they're doing is because their defense coordinator is that good. He, he, he uh, Venerables, does as good a job as any coach in America on defense. But And they're a young, talented team, but – I, I think Ohio State can hang in there. You know, I think it's all going to come down to can the secondary of Ohio State hang in there because they have not, they're not, they're 104th in the nation in pass defense and they haven't played teams that can throw the ball other than Indiana. 
Uh, matter of fact, the teams were, were real, very poorly, uh, very poor pass offenses, and they still gave up yards. So that's the biggest issue is can they pass defense hold up against Trevor Lawrence and uh, the group of receivers? Well, we're not going to confess something. Uh, you come around on your way of thinking about a few things in terms of the playoffs, uh, which you agree that something needs to be changed. We'll talk about that if we have time. But where's the underdog anymore? You know, I mean, you, I, you, uh, you and I have had these discussions. I've learned something. I was in favor of, of stripping it down to the top 65 or 70 teams, uh, you know, and letting them play for the, all the marbles and let the other group go back to what we used to call Division Two, have their own playoffs and whatever. But the fact is, whether it's the NCAA basketball tournament or any sport, we love the underdog. One thing we love about Kyle Trask is the underdog. One of the best games of the year was Liberty versus Coastal Carolina. And that was enough to convince me, you know what, we have to have a place at the table for teams like this uh, as a playing game or something. So when you consider all that, uh, so where do you see the playoff picture going? And it looks like it's not going to change, Irvin. It's going to have to change, buddy. It, it, this, they're going to have to revisit it. I know they don't want to change. I was the same way, uh, the bowl experience. But uh, what's what's happening is you're seeing too many people opt out. I think you need to go to eight. For rather quickly to keep an interest. Uh, you know, you saw, you, you can see, like my son plays at the University of Cincinnati. They were so excited to go to the Peach Bowl. No one's opting out. Everybody's playing. So there are great experiences out there. I don't know this year is unusual because of the COVID. But the top, top, top programs, you know, if a Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, you know, LSU, some of these teams, there are a lot of kids who opt out. You saw Florida, their best weapons on offense aren't playing. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't blame them. I, I, I don't like it. I think it, everybody can't stand it. But I've had that happen to me, you know. But when you start talking about first-round draft pick, generational money, everyone has a right to earn a living, uh, you understand it. And so I, I just think you have to go to eight sooner than later. Um, not that I have any insight at all, but I, I think at some point that's going to be addressed and they have to do that. Keep the bowl system. But the bowl system to me should be for the Coastal Carolinas. It should be for the University of Cincinnati. It should not be for the team that had a bad year. Because I've actually experienced that. And the players don't want to go. The coaches don't want to go. Um, you know, it, it, given I was at Bowling Green. We went 9-3. and three And I had to stand in front of a team that was very emotional. I mean, really crying our eyes out, to be honest with you. Because we didn't have a bowl game to go to. We would have packed our bags and walked to the, any bowl game if they would have took us. But back then, Mac only had the Mac conference only had one bowl game. Yeah, I think at one time there were only six bowl games, and those were the big six. Uh, we have too many now, and you're absolutely right. I've said this on my show now for two three weeks. I, I'm not a, no genius. It's pretty obvious. Kids are going to opt out if they have the opportunity to make millions of dollars, and they've been through a long season. Uh, they don't have a lot of heart left. They've given relentless effort. And some of them are quitting because they're tired of it. And they don't want to fight it anymore. Most of them are quitting it for other opportunities. But you're right. I'd say go to 12 teams because if you had six games, you'd have you make sure you had 12 teams of players that, weren't, that aren't going to opt out. They're going to stay and play. And you know this, when you make a bond as a team and you set your goals together as a team at the beginning of the year and you come down to the end, you're in the playoffs. Are you going to walk on your team? I don't think you are, Urban. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I never really thought through the 12, but that makes sense. And I, I just think they need to revisit. I think they will at some point. You know, I think, you know, there's a lot of traditionalists out there like I, I am, but I'm also realist. And the realist is that I know coaches are, you know, I think Georgia has nine players not playing, right? I, I, yeah. I, I don't even know. And, and a group of teams, and this is an unusual year because of COVID, but elected not to go to bowl games just because of the wear and tear. And So I think they'll revisit it yeah. at some point. Yeah. Okay, Irvin, uh, I've always thought you'd make an excellent general manager in the NFL. Surely I do. Uh, and I'm going to make you one for one second here and say, all right, you're a GM. Uh, in the NFL, you're tasked with finding a new coach, but you have to picking pick them from a college game. All right, we'll we'll throw your name out there and say we're not going to not going to talk about you. But of these players, of these coaches, I just got written down. I thought, well, who would I go after? Who would I pick? Uh, you know, you hear a lot of uh, a lot of people saying they're being uh, approached, telling friends and family they're approached. Here's a list of uh, players or uh, coaches that that you can pick from: Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma, Dan Mullen, Florida, uh, Brian Kelly, Notre Dame, uh, Fitzgerald from Northwestern, and Ryan Day from Ohio State. Anybody ring a bell for you? Yeah, I think those are all great coaches. I know most of them very well. Uh, incredible respect. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to rank or do those things. That's not my business, but the one thing you mentioned for most people, those coaches, it's not, you know, I, I think, you know, Dan Mullen's a great example. Ryan Day, those, I can bespeak, you know, candidly about them because I know that they were on my staff as they are excellent game managers and play callers. That's a small portion to me of what a head coach is responsible for. You know, I had one guy tell me that in the NFL that so much of the conversation is about players and plays. And usually players and plays, well, players, you know, that's fluid. And plays depends on who's running those plays. It's not the play. It's not, there's no gurus out there. Gurus are the ones that have great players that have trust in the system and there's an elite culture. In corporate America, it's about culture and leadership. And the one person I talked to was kind of shocked in the NFL. Some people, all they talk about is players and plays, players and plays, and they're drafting are usually early every year because they just don't have a good organization. Yet you take the, the Saints, you got the Steelers, you got the Green Bay Packers, you got the New England Patriots. I know they're struggling this year, but at the end of the day, what makes them, they don't run tricky plays. They have exceptional players and an exceptional culture. Okay, ready for Ask Urban? Sure. Here's a good one from my friend Lauren up in Dayton, Ohio, former high school coach. How was the Percy position developed and what goes into planning practice for the development of that position? Well, I was a receiver coach by trade for about, I think, 13, 14 years. And I always, uh, I learned a lot along the way because back in the old, I mean, that's going to date myself a little bit, but back in the 80s, it was traditional, you know, a fullback, a tailback, a tight end, and two wide receivers that stood out wide. And then that game changed when people started going one back. Dennis Erickson was one of the first ones that everyone started studying. That was uh, that was in the late 80s. And then 90s, I was part of Colorado State when they went purely one back. And that's when I first was exposed to that H-back position. H-back is the inside receiver normally. And it's a matchup nightmare for the defender because it's, especially a guy like Percy. 
you know, a guy that and Kyle Pitts is another, he's another Percy type player, a hybrid guy, because, you know, on the outside you have corners and usually that third, your third receiver H back, the third best cover guy is going to cover him. And a lot of times that has to be run support because it's near the line of scrimmage. So with that being said, uh, that's how we developed the Percy position and actually started at Utah with a kid named Paris Warren that was MVP of the Fiesta Bowl. And, uh, we just did so much with him. But I always wanted a guy that could carry the ball as well. When I mean, when God made Percy, he made the H-back. That is the ultimate H-back. Big, strong, physical, good blocker, tough, could carry the ball, and then also hard for anyone to cover one-on-one. And occasionally could throw it, matter of fact. Uh, all right, here's one from, um, who's this? From Bill in Cocoa, Florida. If Notre Dame gets blown out, how do you continue to tell teams like Cincinnati and BYU, along with Texas A&M and IU, many and Dad, I guess, that they were not deserving? Yeah, that's part of the, that's one of the flaws. You know, it's never going to be a perfect system. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was I'm very unique because I sat on the Utah staff in 2004. I think we finished third or third in America. And I know on any given day, and I give Matt, Leinart and Reggie Bush a hard time back in 04 we couldn't beat anybody you know we, we beat Texas A&M badly North Carolina badly Oregon Cal Arizona we you know in those two years we played them we beat them and we didn't have the depth but when everyone's healthy that team could have beat anyone yet never got a chance to play for a national title um, so it, it's a little bit of a flawed system I, I my mind's set on eight hopefully they can get eight in there and that'll answer a lot of those questions Perfect. We have so many questions. I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple more real quick. Uh, this is from Tim in Dublin. You're, you're part of the country. When looking back at the Big Ten championship game, why did Ohio State struggle to pass the ball against Northwestern? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, First thing you always do is give credit to Northwestern. Uh, their pass defense, the run defense didn't hold up very well, but the pass defense was good. Justin Fields did did play with the confidence we're all used to watching him play with. Uh, and his primary guy, Chris Olave, didn't play. And Chris Olave is a grown man. He's a mature player, great player, but more than just a great player, great leader. And, you know, that's we've all been there. If a quarterback doesn't have his main target, he just doesn't feel right. And I, I, I think that's kind of had something to do with it. All right, real quick. I think I asked you earlier, this is from Buddy in Ocala, about you're the czar of college football. What changes do you make? Well, first one is the playoff. You know, the first thing you do is a playoff. The second thing is you bump back recruiting to the way it was. You uh, eliminate the early signing period, move it back to February, uh, let, let people play their senior year and make decisions where they want to go play. And I think there's so many transfers right now because – People aren't able to do the investigative process on both sides, the coaches and the players. You know, coaches, you're forced to make offers as sophomores, and players, there's pressures to commit early. And as a result, you got a lot of people end up maybe the place they shouldn't be. Um, so I, I, that's what I would do. Those two things are not the jump. Coach Urban Meyer, the season is winding down. We'll visit about this later on. We'll put you on hold for a minute, Coach. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Thanks, buddy. Happy New Year. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Okay, we want to thank the people who made this program possible, the Gator Bait Lighthouse Builders, Truth, Honor, Integrity, and Dignity, Dr. Jim Duke, Sissy Long, Lauren Meadows, Jeffrey Meldon of Meldon Law, Max Steen, former Gator captain, Jeff Ulmer of the Ocala Quarterback Club, sponsor of the Scott Bradley Trophy, Mike McGinnis, captain, Joe and Dr. Joey Sorrentino, Red Star Medical Research, and Diane Palmer, in memory of Whit Palmer, Jr. We hope you're enjoying the best Fridays in Football podcasts with Urban Meyer and sometimes Terry Bradshaw. If you do, please go to Evergreen Podcast Network or iTunes or Apple and share it. On behalf of Director Brendan Martin, Executive Producer Andy Billman, I'm Buddy Martin wishing you a Happy New Year. You've been listening one of the best Fridays in football on the Evergreen Podcasting Network. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 